Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Can you believe we're back with a second podcast episode this week? If you haven't tuned into episode 90 with Brianne Liguori yet, you need to get on that. We talk all about finding joy and beauty in the present moment and how we can discover our purpose. Now, I know I've been a little all over the place in terms of my schedule, but we will be back to normal next week in terms of Thursday episodes. In the meantime, I want to thank each and every one of you for being here and for tuning into episode 91 of Wellness and Wonderlust. No matter how you found the show or how long you've been listening, I am so grateful that you're here. Our sponsor for today's episode is KitCaster. KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field or you have a unique story to share, KitCaster can help you grow your brand and connect with podcasts that fit your niche. They have an incredible team of communication experts that will help you dive into the world of podcasting. If you're interested in working with KitCaster, you can go to kitcaster.com slash wanderlust to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. I've also linked this offer in the show notes. Now, today's guest is Zara Marin Franks, an energy healer, author, and coach who helps women heal stronger after heartache. We've talked about breakups on this show before and how they can be such an isolating time in our lives. So Zara works with women to help them create an action plan for healing. In our conversation, we talk about the importance of sitting with our discomfort, finding the courage to be ourselves in relationships and beyond, the role of rituals in our healing journey, how we can incorporate breath work, and more. Zara also talks about archetype embodiment, what it is, and how we can use it to access those parts of ourselves that we've lost, and how to set intention through fire rituals. This is such a powerful conversation. It's filled with so many self-care techniques, even if you're not going through a breakup right now. So you're going to want to jot all of this down. You may want to even listen back for a second or a third time, because there are a lot of great takeaways and practices that you may want to consider for yourself. So enough from me. Let's dive in and hear from Zara. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Thanks, Valerie. Thanks for having me. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really excited to dive into today's topic. Before we do that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Yeah. So my name is Zara and I'm a women's breakup coach. I'm originally from Berkeley, California. I've been living overseas for a while and I run a one month program to help women heal stronger from heartache so that they can meet more successful matches in the future. I'm also an energy medicine practitioner and author and forever student, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's amazing. I mean, what what a resume, right? But I think healing stronger from heartache, that's something that so many of us, um, you know, breakups are such an isolating time. And I think that can be such a struggle for so many. How do we heal stronger from heartache? And first of all, how did you get into this line of work? Mm, Yeah, it can be an isolating time. Well, I've had, of course, my own ups and downs and love, but my last breakup was pretty much the most serious one. It's when I hit my lowest rock bottom and that relationship really launched me into my curiosity around this work, but around specifically like how do we have successful relationships? But my real interest in this started, you know, as a young woman, as a kid and teenager watching my own sisters and my mom deal with their struggles and their friends. And I just thought, you know, there's got to be a better way to 
approach love without all of the, you know, societal messages that we get that just are not setting us up for success. So I was curious about it then. And then when I went through my own struggles, I was really curious about it then. I was uh, about 24 when I met, basically just, you know, I met the guy and we proceeded to have a four-year relationship. I moved across the country for him and, you know, we really were planning our future together. Um, I was very involved in his life and he was involved in mine. Our families loved each other. And I, you know, we were pretty much enmeshed. But what I didn't realize at the time is that we were dysfunctional. We were having a lot of unhealthy patterns, but I was sacrificing all of my inner knowing just to maintain this relationship. So of course, when the breakup happened, it shattered my world and I really had to return to myself and reevaluate everything. I think that's something so many of us can relate to sacrificing that inner knowing first and foremost. I think that's such a powerful way to say it, but realizing usually after the fact that the patterns that we are falling into are maybe not so healthy. So what did that journey look like then from that heartache that you experienced to where you are today? Yeah. So we were kind of maintaining our relationship through our very busy daily lives. And when I say busy, I mean, I was working 80 hours a week. He was doing the same and we just didn't really have time to connect with ourselves or each other properly. So when we decided to move back to California from DC, the cracks had a chance to show. (laughs) So that's when I really saw some of the substance abuse that I thought was normal. I was normalizing some of the drinking. I was normalizing some of the codependent behaviors. And so I was given a chance outside of our natural, normal day-to-day environment to see the dysfunction. So I began to create a plan for myself to exit. And um, I just remember waking up in the morning and being like, the, the inspiration would come as like, I've got to go for a run or like, I've got to do it. You know, it was like, there's nothing that's going to stop me from going for this run or I've got to get up. And at the time I was volunteering at a horse farm just to return to one of my passions, which is working with horses. And I got to just return to myself, whatever it is. And that was kind of like a imperative in that. And so things deteriorated. And then we had, you know, our last big blowout, like, I think it was about a parking ticket or something. And it's like, okay, this is not, this is not working. And, you know, he's like screaming at me and I'm like, okay, this is abusive. And so I just was like, I need to wake up here. This is not working. Like not, no one is worth this. My sanity, my physical health was deteriorating. So all these things were catalyzing this change. So I was totally drained. I mean, emotionally, financially, physically. So all I could do was just like go sleep at my sister's house on the top bunk of my little nephew's bed. Cause I was like, I've got nowhere to go but I can't stay here. No, it's not safe. So um, yeah, I guess that process, it was just like a rocky entry into like your world is imploding. 
And from there, I just slowly had the brain space to find the pieces of me that were lost, reconnecting with my desires, reconnecting with my body, and just having some space away from this other person who was taking quite a bit of my life force away. And I didn't even really realize that was happening. So um, yeah, I I remember uh, taking a yoga class that was incredibly intense. I didn't know it was going to be that way. And having kind of a yoga flu afterwards. And for some reason, I kept going, even though I thought I had made a horrible mistake. But uh, I really just began to let this force drive me towards the things that were going to really heal me and challenge me to look at the ways in which I had gotten myself into that situation and what coping mechanisms I reach for and stuff like that. So it was slow going and it took me two years to really come to a place where I felt good. And then took me, took me a while, but now looking back, I see a clear progression and I'm able to see the markers that really helped along the way. And that's what I've wrapped my program into, the tools and practices that I was able to gather, not just during that time, but during my time as an energy worker and then as my time with meditation when I was younger. And so I was really able to like gather all these things up and see the pattern that actually helped me. Well, I think it's a time that, you know, with a breakup, you really oftentimes you really do feel like you've lost a lot of yourself. I know that one of the biggest pieces of advice that I've gotten was um, that the best form of self-care during that time is to do the things that feel like you, which very much sounds like what you did and being able to take all these different modalities and all of these tools that you've learned along the way, you know, many of our listeners are, you know, somewhat attuned to the, to the wellness world and have some practices that we follow kind of recognizing what resonates with each of us and how we can use that to kind of heal and move forward. I love that this gave you the time to reconnect because that is something, again, you know, you lose yourself in a relationship, especially when it's not going well. And, you know, I think it's so important to have that time and appreciation for yourself again. So for you, what were some of those practices and what are some of the practices that you incorporate in your program when, um, when working with women who are in that healing journey? Well, breakups force all of us to be with ourselves, to sit with our discomfort. So that that's kind of practice number one. And you don't have to do anything to have that it's happening to you. (laughs) So that's step one, sitting with your discomfort. And then step two, uh, there was a lot of uh, journaling that was going on. Not very formal, just, you know, writing a little bit when I could just to keep track of my feelings, get things out, remember ideas that I had, you know, again, reconnecting with myself. Yeah. And just trying something different. So for me, instead of uh, wallowing and maybe like emotional eating or like binging on whatever, like instead of going down that route, which I knew wasn't really an option because I had already a lot of unhealthy habits in the relationship. So why would those help me outside (laughs) or to find a better relationship? I just knew, okay, I don't have a choice here. I've got to do something that's positive for myself. So whatever felt good in a restorative way is what I aimed at. And so for the program, I really work with women individually to see what they've lost and what they've left behind and what parts need to be reconnected. So it might be something from childhood that they enjoyed. Maybe it's a drawing or dance or 
singing or whatever it is, or like a project that they've always been meaning to do. You know, we, we reconnect with all of that and that builds a lot of self-trust and self-love. I think that's what people mean by that when you hear that phrase being said is really putting yourself first and advocating for yourself on a daily basis and checking in with yourself. That's one of my go-to practices just to hear yourself think, you know, and really get your thoughts in order and then writing them down. There's a lot of alchemy that happens in the writing process. So we focus on that. And yeah, there's so many, so many things we do. We do breath work. We do guided visualization. We do archetype embodiment, which I love. That's really one of my favorites. Uh, Just getting familiar with archetypes of the divine feminine to use as a guide or inspiration or to channel a certain energy in your life. So yeah, there's, there's lots of practices, but really I like to work with people on the practices that will resonate the best with them. So yeah. I think that makes so much sense. There's no one size fits all. And we all do have different things and different relationships, different dynamics and things that we've lost and things that we really want to get back. And that looks so different for everybody. So I love that you approach it from such an individualized perspective while still focusing on what is going to restore you. I think journaling is great for everybody. That was something that I started to incorporate actually during the pandemic, but it's such a great way to Um, you know, because you have all of these feelings and thoughts just swirling around and I'm one of those ruminators, I'll stay up all night and think about it and to have it written down and get that energy out somewhere, I think makes such a huge difference for me and everyone that I've talked to. But, um, do you have when, you know, I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about the archetype embodiment, because that's something I'm actually not at all familiar with before that, when you're working with women on journaling and incorporating that into their healing, Um, Are there particular prompts you ask them to follow or is it more of an informal process or how does that work and what do you recommend? Oh, absolutely. There's prompts. I have tons and tons and tons of prompts depending on what they're working with or what level of clarity they're dealing with. We'll use different prompts, but yeah, a lot of people uh, about the spiraling thinking and the swirling thinking, you know, you can lay awake at night thinking about your entire life and it feels as if your thought process is following somewhat of a linear progression, or you can keep track of all of the things that you're thinking. But when you put the pen to paper, you realize how difficult it is to put things in order. And that is such a powerful practice. So yeah, having a prompt to help you to ask you the right kind of question to put things in order for yourself is a huge huge step. I could not agree more. I love having just a little bit of guidance sometimes to really know, okay, this is what I'm looking to address. These are the answers that I want to get from myself, or this is what I'm curious about, but being able to kind of approach it from that way, I think that can be extremely helpful. Now you mentioned several different modalities that you incorporate into your practice and that archetype embodiment. Can you tell me exactly what that is and what that looks like for your clients as well? Yeah. So it's one part visualization and one part connecting with an idea. So archetypes are ideas that are embodied in form. And you can read about an idea or you can look at a picture and the picture allows you a shortcut to all the complexities of that idea. And the human brain works really well with that. We're very visual creatures. So 
we'll go over different mythology, different goddess mythology, or different stories and myths from the divine feminine or from folklore that really illustrate a path forward from where you are at now to where you're trying to go. So for example, we have Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of fortune and luck. And she is one of my favorites because she shows us all of our abundance and reminds us to look at our abundance. But she also has another side in which if you're not acknowledging your abundance, she like kind of recedes away from you and things start to look very uh, parched and like you don't have much. So we use her to embody the idea of remembering to look at our abundance. And in that way, she brings forward even more abundance for you. She's saying, look at me, look at me, like acknowledge me so that I can bring more to you. So just to have that bit of a reminder, you know, okay, I've got to do that, right. And to have maybe an image next to your bed or on your fridge, right, I got it. Like I've got to embody that. I've got to remember like that energy is available to me if I so choose. So each person is working with something different. So we'll choose a different goddess or mythology, but visualization and all of that's very powerful practice. Athletes use visualization for their tournaments and stuff. CEOs, like all of the most high-powered people in the world use visualization and archetype embodiment. It's just another form. That is so cool. We, we used some visualization when I was a kid and it really helped us through, um, some health challenges that, that I had and, um, and my sister as well. So I always loved the idea of visualization and I love to see it being used in so many different ways. That archetype embodiment is so cool because there really are so many incredible goddesses in the mythologies. And it's something that I really, we were learning about it a lot in school and something that I really miss. And so you're kind of inspiring me to go back to it because I do think, (laughs) you know, uh, Oftentimes we do say, you know, I want to channel my inner whomever that you've seen on TV. I, um, I I have my one jacket where I'm Olivia Pope and, Mm. uh, you know, you know, maybe that's more of a very, very modern mythology and not necessarily the archetype embodiment that we're practicing, but no Um, less powerful, no less powerful. Exactly. You want to, if you're embodying someone who has this quality that you either hope to have or something that you want to really have shining through you. I mean, what, what an incredible idea and something that could be so individualized for everybody too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very powerful and it's, it's a returning process. It helps you return to a part of yourself that you may have lost or need access to now, especially dealing with another human in a romantic relationship can really make it so that your spirit is off center. So these kinds of embodiment practices recenter you and remind you of who you are, what your value is, what your gifts are, all of that. I think that's important to be reminded of because I think we do a lot of people pleasing, especially unfortunately as women. And I hate that that is the case, but it really is so ingrained into our culture that we do really try to, a lot of times we do make ourselves smaller for the other person. You're not necessarily bringing forth your true self, especially I think, and this could be true for, for all genders, but you know, when you're unhappy in a relationship, when you don't feel safe to come forward as yourself, that's, that's a big thing that you're hiding and really kind of stifling. And so to be able to 
find ways to, to bring ourselves back to who we really are. There's such a power and such a beauty in that. That's I, I was in a really toxic relationship in my early twenties and coming out of that, it was a long healing journey, but um, even just recognizing that, Hey, I can go to all of these cool places and experience new things in this new chapter and kind of come back to who I am without the worry of that criticism or what have you. And that spirit being off center, that's something that I can really imagine that so many of our listeners would relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, being small or people pleasing in a relationship or hiding parts of yourself. I mean, if you are doing that and that is your habit or you are going into that, that is directly in opposition of you finding a quality, healthy relationship. So you've got to find your courage to be yourself, show yourself, find the courage to be vulnerable. And if someone doesn't like it, that's not the right person. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard to let that sink in, you know, but that is exactly what we work on in the program because if you want to be successful in romantic relationships, that is the only way. You need support for that. You know, doing it alone is arduous and you might not make it. Like the truth is not everyone makes it through those deserts of experience. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that courage, I think that's such an important piece to it. And it kind of brings me back to toward the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about how this is a time to start learning to advocate for yourself, which is something that many of us can struggle with. Because again, we do want to put others before ourselves. We are conditioned to do that. And we genuinely want the, yeah, we want the people that we love to be happy, be comfortable. As far as that advocating for yourself goes and finding that courage to be yourself during this single time in our lives, what are some things we can do to start honoring that and to start bringing that forward? Yeah, well, I think it really begins with a perspective shift. Even if it doesn't feel natural or you don't believe it, just knowing that ending the people-pleasing and ending turning yourself into a pretzel and ending the hiding, the self-abandonment uh, and betrayal, ending those and acting counter to those, sticking up for yourself, saying no, uh, getting comfortable with your no, just believing, giving yourself a chance to believe that, okay, these things that are uncomfortable for me to do, advocate for myself, say when things aren't working for me, that is the way forward, even though it doesn't feel natural, just giving yourself some time for that to feel natural, giving yourself some time to get comfortable and walking around knowing your worth with your shoulders back and your head held high, like really feeling confident and knowing that you don't have to turn yourself into a pretzel. And if the person you're pursuing Suing, you feel like you have to uh, manipulate or win their love in a certain kind of way by not being yourself. Like if you feel that coming on, gently catch yourself like, oh, you know, I'm doing that again. I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that to win or earn love. I can be myself and I can have my energy be healthy and and vivacious and I don't have to dim and I don't have to deplete myself. That's not what love really looks like. So yeah, it's, it's a perspective thing. Just being really patient with yourself on building that new perspective until it feels a bit more natural. That's what all mindset work really is about. It's just giving yourself the time to 
switch those train tracks. <laughs> I think that's really an important mindset shift too, because when we aren't acting as ourselves, when we are turning ourselves into a pretzel, if that person quote unquote loves us, they're not, they don't really love us. They love the person that we're trying to embody. And in the times and relationships, when I have tried to dim myself or whatever that may look like, I didn't show up in the ways that I was proud of. And a lot of times you end up, you know, having that anxiety you lash out, you get into fights over little things that you might not normally react to. And I think that you don't bring the relationships can become unhealthy when one or both people aren't bringing their true selves forward. Word. Absolutely. And I think a nice, good question to ask yourself would be, you know, when did I first start doing this behavior? Or when did I feel that this is how I needed to behave? I had a client who had a bad experience when she was a teenager at a party with her boyfriend. It was a very embarrassing moment for her. And so she, she took that experience in and learned, okay, I need to be different or I need to cover up this part of me. Or So then she's just been carrying that ever since. And she's in her mid thirties now. So it's, that's a quite a long time, you know, to be limping around with this wound from when you were a teenager at a party. Like when did I first realize I've got to be somebody else or this part of me is unacceptable or this part of me is ugly or, you know, mm -hmm. like track that down for yourself. That's a really useful exercise. I think that's such a good one. And I have definitely in the last couple of years started to explore a little bit more of that inner child, but someone, mm. you know, someone had mentioned to me too, it's not just that inner child, but that inner teen. And I think back to seventh grade, which everybody says, no matter what challenges they've been through and difficult experiences and traumas, everyone says seventh grade is the worst year of my life. And, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, but I, you know, I think that pain and I think that what we're um, experiencing at that age, there are so many times where I'm recognizing in myself, wow, I do this. And it kind of all does go back to those middle school years or that scared preteen or teenager that it's, it's just something that we don't recognize how much our childhood and young adulthood really can play into some of our habits and how we show up in our relationships, our friendships, and really any situation. Um, so to really, to be questioning that for yourself, that has been powerful for me. I certainly would encourage listeners to take on that exercise. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're stuck with things for so long, ways of being, you just forget. You think, oh, no, I've always been like this, or this is my belief. But then you realize, oh, wait, no, it's my aunt or uncle who like said that comment that one time and it lodged in my brain. And <laughs> now I think it's my opinion, but it's really theirs, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where that getting curious really plays in because so often these things really are ingrained in us and we think they're normal. And then I've certainly had times where I've said something out loud and then I'm like, wait a minute. I don't actually think that wow. when I really, yeah, when it really boils down to it, but yeah, certainly those family relationships, friendships, relationships, you know, when we were younger, I mean, that all shapes us and who we are today. I'd love to know for you, I know mindfulness is a huge part of your practice. And I think really mindfulness is important for living a healthy, happy life. And breath work is something that you incorporate as well. Can you talk about a little bit breath work, how that plays in your practice and does it play into a little bit of this work? Yeah. So when I first started putting this program together, one of the things that I knew I had to include was some kind of body focused practice because our mind and our emotions live inside our body and our body takes a hit on everything. Our body remembers all of our experiences. 
And one of the easiest and simplest ways to access deeper parts of our emotional body is through our physical body and through the breath. So I work with people who have anxiety. You know, of course, we all have a lot of anxiety these days. So what I find is that people don't know how to breathe or they, even if they do, they don't realize they're holding in their abdomen, they're holding in their tummy all Mm -hmm. the time and they're giving themselves an anxiety attack because they're holding their breath and their brain is like, I can't breathe. Now I'm anxious. So we really just focus on the breath. Each session we'll start with something cleansing or something energizing depending and just to uh, get their body out of fight or flight and get it into rest and digest. And um, if your listeners are curious, uh, I recommend looking up uh, Stephen Porges. He does a lot of work uh, on the vagus nerve, which is the control switch for that fight or flight freeze and then rest and digest. So really by breathing in and out slowly, we are activating a sense of calm and the more you do that, the more that becomes your normal. And so when you are going out to find a mate, you want to feel good. You want to have a healthy, calm baseline so that when you meet someone, you can tell if they're helping you maintain that healthy, calm baseline, or if they're making you spike into anxiety, and then you can choose accordingly with whether you want to keep seeing that person. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the body, the body really comes first. and that's why we work with it. And they can use these tools outside of the sessions. Obviously, I mean, I really encourage that I have clients who use their breath work, like mid fight with their partner or whatever, (laughs) to like, get their prefrontal cortex back online, which is your reason and logic, which shuts down when you're not breathing. So if you can't reason and logic in the moment, you're probably not breathing. So yeah, that's why we work on the breath so that we can be clear headed, literally. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. I've certainly had, you know, you think about the anxiety in those times of hyperventilating and how that actually makes everything so much worse on us. And we don't realize it because we think we're almost breathing more, but definitely breath work. I had, you know, when you say, you know, you could use it anywhere. I have certainly used it, not even in a relationship setting, but just when I was feeling really claustrophobic Mm. at times, you know, when you're anxious, I've left a meeting before where I was anxious about what came up in it and just doing a few simple breathing exercises. It's amazing what that can do for kind of helping you settle a little bit and just calm down in the moment because we, we can't make a logical decision at that point. Your mind is just going to be racing in a thousand different directions. And in the case of healing from heartache, it can really be racing and, Mm. you know, Yeah, absolutely. The breath connects us back in. And when you've experienced a trauma, big or small, I mean, a breakup is a trauma. So you've got to, and that puts you out of your body. That's an out of body experience. So you've got to return and breath is an excellent way to do that. Do you have any tips for listeners who are looking to start incorporating breath work? I think a lot of people get nervous and they think that it's going to be a several hour long meditation (laughs) session or. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, don't go too hard, too fast. I mean, that even sounds scary to me. I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, unless I'm prepared to do that, I really signed up for that, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, go, go slow, you know, find some videos online or, you know, find a practitioner you like, or a short class you can go to, or like a 
mixed class where they do a little bit of breath work and then they do a little bit of movement. Dip your toes in and see. Some breathwork sessions are very long and energizing. And if you do have a lot of anxiety or trauma, you really want to find an experienced practitioner to walk you through that because you don't want to add to your excitement, your excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, maybe if you uh, need some energy, you're feeling kind of sluggish and depleted, then, you know, those breaths of fire and stuff are great. But yeah, find find somebody who you trust to work with and go slow. And Brie Melanson, she has some breath work sessions on Insight Timer. They're free and they're pretty gentle. So yeah, you know, check her out and, you know, check locally. I, I would say go in person, you know, if you're unsure of any kind of physiological reaction you might have. And so you just have some people standing by and group practice can be really powerful as well. So you don't feel so alone. Absolutely. If we have a guest coming on the podcast, we'll have aired already by the time this episode airs, um, who talked a lot about how group work can be so incredibly impactful toward our healing and doing a class together. I mean, that is such a powerful energy, but I love, I love insight timer. That is one of my favorite apps. I will actually do, sometimes I'll do some of the breath work at the pool, Um, If I, if I go nice and early, you know, nice weather just calms me down. I mean, certainly the pool environment helps as well, but sometimes doing breath work outside can be really, really nice and restorative. Um, I haven't done an in-person session, but what I did notice, and I think what is so beneficial to working with a professional was in college, they offered biofeedback training in our counseling center. And so they encouraged anybody who wanted to use it. I think you got like six free sessions and learning that. Yeah. Learning that first week that I was breathing completely wrong. I always laugh now because my, you know, my sister's a speech pathologist and she'll also talk about, you know, the correct way to be breathing. And a lot of people honestly don't know. And we, it's definitely so impactful when we take the time to actually pay attention to our breath and recognize that the way that is going to be the most beneficial for us to take our air in. Absolutely. Yeah. Fundamental. Yeah. No one teaches you how to breathe in school. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The things they don't teach in school. Uh. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think breakups, it's a, it's certainly a time that we don't talk about quite as often, maybe as, as we should, because again, it is such an isolating time. It's a difficult time. No one wants to experience it, but it's something that learning how to navigate that time, you really can gain so much from it and really regain yourself. One practice that you've mentioned before, and I'm extremely curious about as well, um, are your fire rituals. Can you talk about what those look like and how we can incorporate those into our healing? Yes. So I love working with ritual. Ritual is such an integral part of being human. We use ritual everywhere. You might not really notice, but you know, we've got graduations, we've got swearing ins, we've got song and everything like that chance to lead us into different kinds of ceremonies. So we use ritual to mark endings and beginnings and to set intention. So fire ritual is for marking an ending and or releasing. So I love using the element of fire and those of you out there who really resonate with fire (laughs) and are kind of pyro like me uh, (laughs) will enjoy this exercise. We write down whatever we want to give away or what we're done with, you know, so we've got the alchemy of writing and then it goes onto the paper and it goes into the fire and it's a release, you know, it lets your 
mind know that, okay, this is done with. We've created our own closure there because oftentimes in breakups, we are looking for closure from the other person, but oftentimes we do not get it. Mm -hmm. So we have to create our own. And uh, it really helps you demarcate these moments of change and transition in your life. And that's a healthy practice for you to move on. I think a lot of times a a breakup can feel like a death and you really are Mm -hmm. grieving. And when we lose someone in our lives, we have a funeral for them. We sit and we, you know, we, we do something to kind of mark that and to create that closure for ourselves, because you're right. Um, I think closure oftentimes, at least closure between people, it feels like a myth to me. Um, a lot of times we're not going to get all the answers that, that we wanted to get. And even if we do get those answers, certainly not, <laughs> it might not be what you wanted to hear. Totally. Uh, we actually, it's so funny. Um, I didn't realize that I use a fire ritual sometimes in my own life, but um, oh. at the end of the year, we started in my family, we we're doing the flying wish paper where you write things down. You can write the things that you do want, but a lot of times I've written the things that I wanted to let go of um, and you crumple it up and you light it and it flies off. Mm, um, and burns. That. Yes. It's one of my favorites. I'll link it in the show notes so that anyone who's curious can definitely incorporate that. But I love the idea of writing those things down and creating the closure for ourselves that let's face it, we're not going to get it from, from that other person, at least not in the way that we want to. So to be able to release that energy a little bit more, what a, what a cool ceremony. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that that was its own ritual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone has little rituals. They probably aren't even thinking of morning, your morning rituals, you know, like I always do this or I always do that, or I make my coffee this way or I make my tea that way, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so yeah, rituals help us get through our day and they help us get through our lives. Absolutely. Do you have any other rituals that you like to incorporate in this type of work? Yeah, um, there's different rituals for different elements. So fire, water, earth, salt, I consider salt an element and air, but I love doing a ritual bath. So I'll work with a client on what kind of bath and intention they want to set for that bath, what kind of herbs or flowers or scents that we want to use. And we always use uh, natural ingredients and I think synthetic because we really want to pick up on something coming from this planet, uh, not synthesized. Mm-hmm. So yes, ritual bath as you're in the bath, that's a physical experience for you as well. So that can be really powerful. I love that. That sounds, that sounds so lovely. I, I definitely want to start incorporating that, but, you know, and when we start to think of these things as rituals, I think there's something so magical about that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, practice and subtlety and love and relationships are immaterial and we need to use the immaterial to work with them. So although we live in a world that's all about what you can see, touch, taste, you know, and uh, quantify, you can't apply those same materialist laws to love and partnership. Sometimes you can. I mean, in a broad sense, like we will create an action plan for your healing and enrolling in my program is a tangible thing, but truly using immaterial, getting comfortable with the immaterial, the soul, the spirit is really, really crucial to um, accessing the deeper parts that will open things up for you in the realm of love. 
And I think, you know, doing this work now is a really great way to prepare ourselves for if we want that next relationship, if that's something that we do set our intentions on, we're able to show up in a different way and attract someone who is maybe a little bit more ready for the type of relationship that we want. Absolutely. To align ourselves. I mean, I, I took two years off dating. I wasn't really at all interested in finding another relationship. <laughs> that is kind of its own magic in itself. But yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was really heartbroken. I thought I wasn't going to love again, first off. But then when I started to feel better, I just wasn't into it. So finding that center and finding our own alignment so that we can align with another. Yeah, very important. And I think that's something, you know, many of our listeners are our demographic. We have a lot of people in there, especially women in their twenties, thirties, and forties. And it's a time where if we're not married, if you're not in that long-term relationship, you may have those either well-meaning relatives or people <laughs> in your life. Like, you know, when are you going to get married or don't you get lonely and stuff like that? And I think mm-hmm. sometimes this societal pressure can really get to us as well. Do you have any tips in general for embracing the single time in our lives? Um, especially when we're at an age where that pressure becomes a lot more real. Yeah. Well, first to recognize that your well-meaning friends and family, they want to feel good about what you're doing, but that is not your responsibility. So relieve yourself of that. (laughs) I know that's a tricky task sometimes, but just know that their happiness with what you're doing is not your responsibility. So give yourself some space with that. You're not in control of what they say to you. Let them say whatever, and then get back to whatever it is you are doing. And then as far as the societal pressure and feeling like time is running out and there's so many beliefs time is running out or uh, you it's really hard to date in your 20s oh wait a minute they say that about every decade it can't Mm -hmm. all be true (laughs) (laughs) like it's really hard to date in your 30s or as you get older it's hard to make friends as an adult like None of that's been my experience. And I know a lot of other people who haven't had that experience. So again, we're back to finding and tracking down those ideas that are not your own, that maybe you just heard somewhere. And when you've integrated those ideas, they really do become your reality. And so if you've adopted the belief that it's hard to date in your 30s or 40s, then guess what? It's going to be hard to date in your 30s and 40s. So You've got to take a hard look at your beliefs and see which ones are serving you and see which ones are not. Sometimes it's easier to believe something that's not as proactive because it lets us off the hook. Well, it's out of my hands and I'm having a hard time because of this larger thing that I'm not in control of. But you never want to give your power away like that. So finding a way to get back in the driver's seat, whether it's a belief or some societal expectation, you're on your own time and there is no fast or slow or this or that. Uh, You could meet somebody tomorrow and be off walking down the Mm -hmm. aisle in six months. Like you just don't know. Uh, Reality is way more dynamic than whatever you're thinking. (laughs) And you can just look back at the twists and turns of your life. Oh yeah. Very nuanced and very dynamic. It's not A to B to C. So for any of us, not really. So yeah, just take heart in that you never know what's coming around the corner and be tidy with your perspectives, you know, make sure that they're proactive and powerful and serving you. 
That is such a great point. And again, recognizing that some of our beliefs are not really our own beliefs. It's just what we've heard time and time again. And when we really break it down, we can recognize that, Hey, this is really not serving me. And here are the ways it has not served me. And Mm -hmm. in manifestation, when they talk about those cognitive biases, if you're looking for something good to happen, something good is going to happen. And if you're looking for something bad, you're going to see the bad. And, And that's such a simplified way of saying it, but really that, you know, your perspective I mean, it shapes your entire reality. So I think taking that time to get curious about that and also to understand that, yeah, dating, the biases that we bring toward that, that does shape our dating lives that can make the experiences more positive or more negative just based on what we're coming in with. So I love that idea of being tidy with your perspectives. Yeah, it's really important. And it's, uh, you know, it's empowering, you know, it's like, sometimes it just doesn't occur to you like, Oh, I can do that. Like I could let that go, or I could do something different. Sometimes it just doesn't occur. (laughs) Oh, things could be easier if I just let them, Yeah, you know, let me choose. I get to choose here. What would I choose and focus on that and focus on it? Like a mantra. If you don't believe it now, make it your mantra until the train tracks do get switched over and you can believe it. Yeah. I love that as a mantra. That's something I certainly struggled with that a lot, especially in college and in my early twenties of, you know, not being the one to choose that I felt that things just kind of happened and that's how it was and kind of taking my responsibility out of it. Um, when you said, you know, that, that it relieves you a little bit and it, it maybe makes you not have to do the work in the same way. And I've certainly fallen into that trap. I think so many of us have. So to finally empower ourselves and say, this can get better, you know, if I do something about it and it can make such a difference in not just our dating lives, but I think every area of our lives. So definitely to empower ourselves and kind of shift those mindsets in a more positive way. Yeah. And your, and your words, like your mindset follows the words that you speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, your words have a lot of power. So being tidy with your language is a big one. I, I would say it's like very primary. I catch myself saying, I wish, or I can't, or I don't want this, or I don't want that. And those are all kinds of like spells almost, and they're to the negatives. So I catch myself even having to like reframe those and I can, or I would like this, or I would like that. Yeah. I've certainly, even sometimes I'll just catastrophize something that is so minor in the day and I'll be like, this really <laughs> sucks. And it's like, it actually doesn't. When I really think about it, it's, it's a minor inconvenience. And when I kind of reframe that too, I'm like, oh, it's actually kind of funny that this happened or, um, you know, maybe not everything is as traumatic as we make it out to be, uh, you know, certainly as far as minor inconveniences in the day anyway, but yeah, the, the words that we're saying to ourselves have such a power over us. And I love, I love how you said that, that they're, that they are kind of spells that we're casting a little bit. So to kind of recognize that and utilize that when we're dealing with something as difficult as a breakup or something that may make us feel a little bit more isolated, kind of, especially because you're going to have to be alone with your thoughts a lot more during that time, being aware of what you're actually saying. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I think that what you're doing is so incredibly needed in today's world. And I am so excited to dive in and learn more. We're going to talk a little bit more about your program and what all that you offer. But before we do that, I would love to dive into our rapid fire questions so that the listeners can get to know you as well. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. My first question for you is what is your top wellness tip? It's really simple and it's free and it's easy. And it's called self-check-in. <laughs> <laughs> 
you've just got to check in with yourself. Uh, I, this could be in any form, like throughout the day, but I like to do it in the morning or when my brain is feeling really full, like you can do some journaling in the morning, or if you're feeling overwhelmed, that's the time to stop, stop in your day, like take a five minute break, go outside, go to the bathroom if you're at work and just like check in, see what you need. Ask yourself what is going on? What is stressing me out? What is overwhelming me? What can I do about it? What doesn't need to be done right now? What I need? Checking in with your inner child. Maybe you just need a walk and like you can afford that or things going to fall apart if you go for a walk or maybe you want a piece of chocolate or maybe you (laughs) want a tea or just like some delight or you want to listen to your favorite song. Connect with your delight. Connect with your child like part of yourself that needs some attention and is really tired of doing all this adulting stuff. So that check-in to know what your desires are and get some clarity. Um, Otherwise you're going to be triaging and going through your day Mm kind of juggling and spinning your wheels, you know. Yeah. I can certainly say that the days that I have checked in with myself have gone so differently than the days that I haven't. And you can turn a hectic or busy day around completely. If you take that time to, to really think about and focus on what is it that I do need in this moment? So what a great wellness tip. And I don't think that's one that we've gotten before on the show. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Yeah. So on a very different note, based on the the wanderlust part of this show, where is your favorite travel destination? You know, I'm a double Taurus, uh, Taurus (laughs) sun and Taurus rising. And I really just like beautiful locations, like anywhere earthy by the water. Um, as long as it's like, I love nature, but I also love my creature comforts. So (laughs) anywhere beautiful with creature comforts. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's, that's amazing. I literally just said to someone, I love the, I love being outdoors in nature. And then I'm going to check in somewhere with air conditioning for the night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And soft sheets. Yes. Yeah. So I can definitely relate to that one. Um, actually, um, double earth sign for me. So uh, yeah. Yeah. What is yours? I'm a Virgo sun. Um, and I'm Capricorn rising. Um, and then Leo moon. Yeah. It's a little fire. (laughs) but not too much. (laughs) That's cool though. But I really love locations like that. If you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Oh, that is a tough one because there's animals that I relate to, but then there's animals that I want to be, you know? So I really relate to like the jaguar. That's been one of my favorite animals since I was a kid, but I really would rather be a bird so I can fly around, you know, I get to beeline to places, you know, cut through the maze and also get a high level view. Both incredible animals and very different, but still can reflect different parts of ourselves. So I love that. If you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? Gosh, I mean, I'm one of those people who's like always wanting to learn something new (laughs) and like switch directions. But I guess lately some kind of combat sport, I want to like take a boxing class or martial arts or something, you know, to kind of challenge myself physically and mentally. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, you talked about the the mind body connection and what a cool way to do that. Yeah. Requires a lot of discipline. And I think that appeals to me sometimes <laughs> yeah. undisciplined. So I'm like, okay, I need a little bit of that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and finally, what's next on your bucket list? 
I don't know. I mean, part of me wants to create an obscenely large piece of art, like a large painting, even though I've never really, I mean, I've done some watercolors, like little ones for fun, but like, I want to do like a really large painting or yeah, some large artwork or eat my way through Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Between those two. (laughs) I mean, I mean, Italy does sound pretty amazing, but, um, but there's something so beautiful about creating something really with your hands and creating art and doing something a lot larger. I've certainly never done anything to that extent, but I think those are both really great. Um, the eating through Italy definitely sounds tempting though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's that's awesome. Well, Zara, it's been so great getting to know you and learning more about what you do. And these are definitely a lot of these practices that I haven't incorporated. I'm really excited to start kind of utilizing them just in my day to day. And I'm sure for our listeners, this will be extremely helpful as well. For those of our listeners who are interested, would like to learn a little bit more about you. Um, tell us a little bit more about your practice and what you offer and how we can all find and connect with you. Well, right now I'm offering a one month program, Breakup to Breakthrough. And that's four weeks and we go through releasing, restoring, and transforming you. And they can get in touch with me for that on my website. Just shoot me an email, sarah.marin at gmail.com. I am on Instagram ever so often, not very often, at Franks. And I've been doing more writing recently. And for that, you can uh, check out my medium. Wonderful. I'm going to make sure to link all of that in the show notes. I think that your one month program sounds so incredible and something that would really be restorative to anyone who is going through that journey right now. But Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Valerie. It was a real pleasure. I learned so much from my conversation with Sarah. And even though I'm not going through a breakup myself right now, I think a lot of this could be applied to any healing journey you might be experiencing. I love the idea of archetype embodiment. This isn't something I'd ever really thought about before from a traditional mythology perspective, but I have been known to talk about channeling my inner Audrey Hepburn or Olivia Pope when I wear my Olivia Pope jacket. And I love how this visualization can serve as a powerful reminder of just how abundant we really are. So I'm definitely going to look into this a little bit more, maybe look at some of the mythology as well to see, you know, when I do feel like I've lost pieces of myself, what archetypes might help me to regain that and to have those reminders that I might need. Now, Zara shared so many great tips, and I'm definitely going to be listening back to this one myself. If you took away any good nuggets, please be sure to share them on social media, tag us so we can be part of the conversation, and let a friend know what you think of the show. I have linked Zara's information in the show notes. I've also shared a link to the flying wish paper that I talked about in case you're interested in fire rituals and might want to use it for that. Be sure to reach out to Zara if this conversation resonated with you. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and sharing this part of your day with me. If you have a topic you'd like to hear about in a future episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at wellness and wanderlust blog, or you can always email me at valerie at wellness and One of the best ways you can lend your support to the show is to leave a rating review on Apple podcasts or wherever you're tuning in from. It takes just a few minutes out of your day and it truly makes a difference to podcasters everywhere. I hope you all have a fabulous day and I cannot wait to see you next time.